Hello and welcome to The Northern Connection, a bookish podcast where four northern-based book lovers indulge their love of reading and all things bookish. So my name is Emma and in this episode myself, Jules and Rachel catch up to chat about historical fiction. Rebecca couldn't join us for this one as she was off at a festival having a great time no doubt. So here's the chat, hope you enjoy it. this is our first episode where we're talking about historical fiction no me neither it's yeah because we all love it don't we yeah absolutely i think we read a lot of it yeah so we decided that we'd uh, choose two books each um that we particularly love and just champion those a little bit so jules would you kick us off please i certainly will yes so both of my books are exactly the same number of pages And they are very chunky ones at 832 pages each. Wow. And I know we're all a little bit scared of big books, aren't we? (laughs) And I think we're a bit terrified because we think that it's not going to be good and it's going to drag it on and et cetera, et cetera. But I've generally found that very long books are excellent, I will say. Mm -hmm. So the first one is The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton. And I know that, some people are going to say, what? Because when I've looked at the reviews, it does have some really rubbish reviews. But I just think it's absolutely brilliant. So it's basically set in 1866. And Walter Moody is one of the main characters in the book. And he trans uh, travels to the gold fields of New Zealand to seek his fortune. Um, and around this time is when the kind of gold rush is happening in New Zealand. And when he arrives, it's a very stormy night and he stumbles upon a gathering of 12 local men who have met to discuss some unexplained goings on in um, in the town. Um, there's a few things like a wealthy man has vanished, a prostitute's tried to kill herself and an enormous fortune has been found in the home of a, a kind of lowly drunk who you wouldn't expect to have that kind of money. Um, and Walter Moody is drawn into this mystery of everything that's going on in this town. And it's kind of a world of shipping and banking and the gold rush, um, but with a bit of a ghost story thrown in. Um, the book itself is split into 12 sections, so one for each of the men who's at this uh, secret meeting, um, and um, each section has an associated sign of the Zodiac um, tied in with it as well. So it's all kind of bit of a who's who, who's done what, who owns the gold, who's this fortune going to go to, and I just think it's... Uh, a brilliant story, um, exceptionally well told. And I just read my review because I did read it quite a few years ago. So I read my review and I, I wrote in my review that it felt a little bit rushed at the end, like as if she'd realised she'd already written 700 pages and she better hurry up and get it finished. Um, and I read a few other reviews that said exactly the same thing, but someone had said that it kind of made it feel like it were just all very fast paced and stuff at the end of like a big build up to the ending. Um, so I do think it was worthy of the prizes that it, I think, it, I think she won the book prize. Did she, if I'm, if I remember correctly. I'm sure she, she definitely won a big prize. I have yeah. a feeling it was the booker. 
Yeah, and, and it was made into a TV series, was it last year or the year before, which I've watched and I thought it was excellent. I know, we, again, that got some mixed reviews, but um, but yes, I definitely recommend it. I loved it. I have to say I read it um, years ago as well and loved it. I remember reading it on holiday and was just captivated. My husband kept saying, can you put that book down? <laughs> yeah, and I think it just kind of captures that thing of, um, and it came across well in the, um, I mean, I suppose it will do, but I was going to say it came across well in the um, TV adaptation, but the kind of thing where people live in this very um hot and muddy and the big you know the dresses that women wore with the corsets and stuff like that and all this kind of uncomfortable like way of living and stuff and I thought she picked up on all of that quite well so um yeah I loved it yeah I've read it too I think I read it in half term February half term and I think my kids were were definitely a lot younger than they are now and I remember it was one of those like have I actually got to feed you? Do I need <laughs> yes. to stop and feed you? Kind of, you know, I quite, quite like to read my book, really. Um, I remember loving it, but I know it's got mixed reviews. And I think there's a sort of, there's another element to it, isn't there? There's a lot of people who, who've who really, when I've looked at reviews of it, have really looked at the Zodiac and, and all of that. And I almost feel like I sort of missed that element, really. It's probably one of those that would benefit from a rereading. Yeah, yeah. I think I missed yeah, that I'm as well. Thinking, yeah. And I was just thinking exactly, I'm not going to say what my other book is now, um, but my other book that I'm going to talk about later, I just read the first page again and I thought, I think I'm going to have to read this again sometime soon. <laughs> so, um, yes, yeah, so, I'm glad we're all in agreement that we all liked it, though, and that, that that's not kind of caused a bit of a debate. So, yeah, <laughs> that's good. Might have been better if we didn't. Might have been better if I had a bit well, of Well, that's about true, it. yeah. Anyway. So, shall you, I go? Yeah, next, yeah, yeah, you go next. Sorry. So um, I'm going to start with, I think this is probably my favourite um, piece of historical writing of all time. And actually, it, it was hard to choose just two because I do read a lot. Mm. Um, and I could have chosen probably 10. But actually, this one was always going to be on the list. And it's Wake by Anna Hope. And this was her debut novel. Um, and I read it several years ago, actually. Um, and I read it on a train. Um, and it's not a particularly short book. It's not a particularly long book. But I just remember being absolutely captivated by it. And, and I've read it a couple of times since. So it's set in London in 1920. And it's just set over a period of a few days when the city is preparing to welcome back the body of the unknown soldier um, from the French battlefields. And it talks about um, how it opens with the scene of the um, major going in and to, he's probably not a major, I've probably got that completely wrong, but someone very high up in the army going in to choose the body um, of the unknown soldier. They dug three unidentified bodies up. He just went in, put his hand on one coffin and that was the body that came back um, to England, which is, and that's very, very true account of what happened. And it, ta- it when they it follows the story of three women who have been affected by the war and what's happened, and it's really sort of hangs around that national feeling of grieving, that national feeling of loss that followed the war, and so there are um, these women, and one of them's called Hetty, and she's a dancer, but also a dance instructress who she still lives with her mother. And she lives with her brother, who 
went to fight in the war and he's got severe shell shock and he's mute now since he's come home from the war. And she's the one that brings the money in to the family and she dances at the Palais, the Hammersmith Palais. Um, and so there's her. And then there's another lady called Evelyn who is unmarried, middle class, sort of upper middle class, unmarried, but she's working at the pensions office um, and she's dealing with all these veterans who are coming in and trying to get their war pensions and dealing with benefits and things like that. And she's probably what you'd call a blue stocking, you know, so she's a very different social class. Hetty is probably sort of working class and Evelyn's is, um, is sort of upper middle class. And she's got a brother who fought and he was very affected by the war as well, but in a different kind of way. He's almost gone sort of hedonistic since he's been back. It sort of borders on that jazz age thing. And then there's Ada, who's a mother whose son was killed in the war or has was reported missing, um, believed killed. And she's still not given up hope that he might return to her. Um, and the husband is not coping with their loss. And there's a lot of anger because he she thinks her husband should have prevented him from joining up. And she, see, she thinks she sees him everywhere. And so... All three of these women, their stories are told absolutely beautifully, but it all hinges around this idea that that soldier that came back to be buried in Westminster Abbey really represented all of the men they'd lost and all of the things they'd lost. And, you know, there was that real tangible feeling of, is that my son? Is that my husband? Is that my brother that they're, that they're bringing back and putting in the Abbey? And there are, it, they, it tells us three separate stories, but actually, as it goes through, there are threads that bind them together, not in an obvious way, but in a, in a very beautiful way, the way that's, that's woven together. And it's really lovely. And actually, when I read this, we lived um, a little bit further away from our village than we do now. And actually, when we've moved into our village, the guy who, and I should have written his name down but I've forgotten so I apologise I'll try and put it in the notes of the podcast the guy who actually went out to re to choose the body of the unknown soldier lived in our village and he's buried in the churchyard here oh wow so I often have a little wander past his grave whenever I go into the churchyard and it's just such a beautiful book honestly it's one of it is probably the best piece of historical fiction that I've ever read sounds fascinating yeah, it is. It's really, it's beautiful. So I recommend you pick that one up. I mean, I think Anna's an amazing writer, but say this was her debut, I yeah. think is is stunning. I think I'm sold <laughs> for ordering that later. Um, the book I've chosen is The Murder of Harriet Monkton, and it's by Elizabeth Haynes. So Elizabeth Haynes is uh, best known, I guess, for her crime writing, contemporary crime writing, she used to be a police analyst of some description. Um, a, yeah, former intelligence analyst. Um, but this book is set in Victorian times and it's a, a crime novel based on a true story and a murder that has never been solved. Um, so it starts off in... It starts off with the murder of Harriet Monkton. Um, she is a 23-year-old teacher who's found poisoned behind the chapel she regularly attended in Bromley in Kent and to create the book what Elizabeth Haynes has done is she's drawn on the original coroner's reports and the true witness testimonies and um, she's just built this absolutely fascinating um, story around Harriet um, so we, we you know it's told from the four suspects um, 
in in the um in in the crime so it says that her final days um are, are described to us through the eyes of those closest to her her fellow teacher and companion her would-be fiance her seducer and her former landlord and lover so all are suspects and each had a reason to want her dead so it's absolutely fabulous i think um to be honest i read it i think it was in 2019 um and I think, Rachel, we were both on the blog tour for it. And I think that's possibly how I met you on Twitter. We were um, possibly talking about the book and how much we loved it. And then it went from there. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I remember remember being on that blog tour with you as well. And it was just, it is an absolutely stunning book. And it's so cleverly done. Mm. It's so cleverly told and, and so cleverly woven in. And it is very... Um, it's very subtle isn't it it's very very subtle because it could be quite sort of almost ripper-esque yeah you know she could really ham that side of it up but she doesn't it's just so beautifully told I'm gonna say that famous bookworm phrase I've got it but I haven't read it yet (laughs) (laughs) I think I bought it when it um, very first came out and yeah uh, yeah still not read it i remember it being one of my books i'm sure it was one of my books of year of 2019 yeah really good really i've I've actually started rereading it um just when i was thinking about what we were going to choose and everything i was thinking you know i'd love to reread it and and i'm about halfway through and it's just as good the second time love it so that's that one um Jules, are you ready for your second recommendation? Yes, I am, yes. So the book that I was just saying that I need to reread is uh, Michelle Faber's The Crimson Petal and the White. And I'd say it's not just a favourite historical fiction, it's probably one of my most favourite books ever. Um, and I absolutely love Michelle Faber. Um, I think he's an exceptional writer. I've not read all of his books, but I've read most of them and I've loved them all. And I have met him as well. In um, he came and did a talk at Yard oh, University. Oh, get you! Yeah, <laughs> and he's um, he's just one of those really, really fascinating people who you kind of really in awe of when you meet them. So, um, the Crimson Petal and the White, as I suggested earlier, is another whopper of eight hundred and thirty-two pages. And it's set in Victorian London and um, one of the main characters is uh, William Rackham, who's the heir to a perfume manufacturer um, and he's kind of waiting for his fortune, if you like. Um, And he meets Sugar, who is a young prostitute and she's kind of fallen from grace and stuff and uh, once he's... Williams eventually got hold of his fortune and he kind of turns Sugar's life around and um, ensures that she no longer lives in squalor so that he can basically have her all to himself and he don't have to share her with anyone else. Um, So, again, I was reading some reviews before I decided to talk about this and I agree with one person's review that said, they didn't want to talk about the book because it's one that you just want to read and not really know a great deal about what goes on. So I'm just going to read the first paragraph just to give you a sense of what is writing. Well, his writing's phenomenal, I think. So watch your step. Keep your wits about you. You will need them. 
this city I am bringing you to is vast and intricate and you have not been here before. You may imagine from other stories you've read that you know it well, but those stories flattered you, welcoming you as a friend, treating you as if you belonged. The truth is that you are an alien from another time and place altogether. So kind of very mysterious. And he just does do Victorian London very well, I think, as well. So, And I know Rachel's definitely read it. I have. We mentioned that last week, didn't we? So. I remember reading it. I was reading it when I took um, a whole load of kids on a school residential. <laughs> I was reading it, and I was reading it because obviously I was, I was in a room with like with like a dormitory room with kids sleeping at one end and me at the other, and I had one of those book lights, you know, that you clip onto your book. I was reading it by a book light, so it's, I can really remember very, very vividly. I mean, I didn't read all hundred and God, I probably read about ten pages. No, and I was on a school residential <laughs> for crying out loud. But you know, I, I remember very vividly reading that. But it's quite a while ago now since I read it, um, and so I probably would need to reread it because it's yeah. one of those books that I think, like you say, Jules, is you can find kind of it's like fingersmith. I was thinking yeah. about that the other day and remembering yeah. I absolutely loved it. And I think I read that very similar time to when I read The Crimson Petal and the White. But actually, I probably need to reread both of them. Yeah. yeah. See, I only read um, Fingersmith because you guys bought me it, didn't you? Mm. And um, I only read it in December. Um, yeah. And again, yeah, absolutely brilliant. And the twists in it are just amazing, aren't they? That's, I think that's one of the good things about Fingersmith. But yeah, I'm the same with Crimson Petal in the White. Like I say, now that I've dug it out for this, I've I definitely want to reread it. I think it's one of those, I haven't actually read it, but it's one of those I've seen an awful lot on book Twitter that people seem to love it, that there's a lot of love out there for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's fabulous. I think if you commit, though, to a book of that size, you're not going to not like it, are you? Because I can't yeah. imagine people persevering with something, you know, that's 800 and odd pages yeah. if you hate it. You know, yeah. you've got to be some sort of sadist to carry on reading something <laughs> that's nearly a thousand pages long. I actually didn't like it. Oh, yeah. What well, just carry on reading it for then? But just as a little warning, it's very adult. <laughs> so um, just so you're aware of that. But yeah, not that, you know, I'm OK with that. But some people might not be. So, yeah, just bear that in mind if you're going to read it. OK. Do you want me to go next with my second one? Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so this one is, it's the new Hannah Kent that came out this year, um, Devotion. I love Hannah Kent. I've loved everything that she's read. Um, I think very nearly chose The Good People, actually, which That's I thought fantastic, was that book. a fantastic yeah, book and actually um, was a really great portrayal of what it was like to have a child with additional needs all that time ago, you know, all that sort of, I just thought that was fabulous, but I didn't because actually Devotion, I think, has just picked that to the post as my favourite Hannah Kent. So it's um, probably would fall into... No, I can't even say that. No, I can't say what it would fall into because it will give it away, so I'm going to have to not say that. Okay. So it's 1836 and it's set in Prussia. And Han is the main character. She's a 15-year-old girl um, and... Um, she lives in Prussia and she's part, her family are old Lutherians. And so they're pretty much ostracized by, by Prussian society. But they've been given the opportunity, so they have to do all their worshipping in, um, in secret. The church has been closed. They worship in the forest. 
um, but they've been granted by the government safe passage to Australia to set up a new um, community. So at last they get this. They've been waiting for this for ages and, and they've just got it. And when we meet Han, um, it's, she's got quite a complex family in that her father is one of the elders of the, of the community. Her mum is, mother is very well, um, very, very well respected. But they've just lost sort of within the last year or so, I, I believe from memory, their elder, their son, her brother. So there's a lot of grief going on and, and and Han is quite um she's 15 she's going through that sort of you know teenage phase she doesn't really feel she quite fits anywhere um and she goes into the forest a lot on her own and she can hear nature um she's got a really close connection with nature she doesn't feel connected to the local girls she doesn't feel um anything she just she just feels very strongly for nature and then a new family move into the community and um, there's a girl who's the same age as Han called Thea and they immediately strike up a very 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 close bond um, which tips over into a, a, the beginnings of a relationship um, um, something you know a romantic relationship and so obviously that's that's all kind of very exciting for her but also you know very alien and, and anyway so they get a strike up this bond they all go on this boat they they get onto the um they get onto this ship and they go and obviously very dangerous passage um and things happen on the ship but it's about this bond of these two girls and how strong that bond is and how much it can actually survive. And I can't tell you any more than that because if I do, it will completely ruin the book. But it was absolutely beautiful. And I've probably used that word too much tonight, but the the nature writing in it and that sort of speculative idea that you can hear nature and that you can feel nature and and the idea of someone being an outsider mm -hmm. if you're going to pick up a book for pride history for pride month actually this one is pretty um is pretty stunning really i would definitely recommend it so like i say i've not read about hannah kent but this is definitely up there with my favorites yeah and you're going to make me say it again because this is another book that i've got that I've not read yet. Um, <laughs> I'm so currently, yeah. yeah, I'm currently listening to it actually on Audible, and I'm just at the part, Rachel, where Han and her family are on the ship. Yeah. <laughs> so. And I think she conjures that up so beautifully. The yeah. you know, the the freedom of being on a ship, but also just trying to imagine what it would be like and not knowing when you were going to get off and what the place was going to look like when you got there. You know, we're so reliant these days, aren't we? We're knowing exactly where we're going on holiday and having pictures of it on the internet. And, you know, these people knew nothing, you know, mm. and it was just their faith that was taking them there. You know, this idea that they couldn't live where they were, but they'd been promised this, you know, and they were being promised it by people who hated them. And it, it's just beautiful, really beautiful book. So I recommend that one. I highly recommend that one read a couple of her books the good people and then i can't remember what the other one is that burial I... rights yes that's it's the it. one set yeah. in sort of yeah is it iceland i want to say yes, iceland. It is. Yeah. yeah 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 um yeah both of them really good she's such a, a, a an exceptionally good writer yeah and she's very good at his i mean all three are historical but all three are historical from completely different periods in time mm. 
and completely different, you know, places. She's got yeah. such a good, you know, there's Ireland, there's Iceland, there's, you know, this is Prussia and Australia, you know. And I think the amount of research that she must do to, to conjure these images and to create these worlds is, is quite breathtaking, really. Yeah. Yeah, I'll look forward to reading that one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Emma, your second yeah. book. Brilliant. So my second book, um, I suppose there's some similarities um, to your first book, Rachel. So this, the second book that I've picked is The Pull of the Stars, and it's by Emma Donoghue. Um, and Emma Donoghue, I came across her first a couple of years ago when I read Room and I, I loved Room so much that I, I then sought out other books that she'd written and, and she had written quite a few historical um, novels. Now this one, The Pull of the Stars, was published in um, August 2020, um, which was when we were all very much living through COVID ourselves. And and I have to be honest, I wasn't really in the in the right place to to read the book then, but I know it had fabulous reviews. Um and I picked it up I think it was either the end of the of last year or beginning of this year and absolutely loved it. And it's one I've recommended to my mom and she's bought it for her friends. My mum um was a nurse and and so was my uh my grandmother and um just means a lot to them they really and they I know my mum really loved the book also it's set in Dublin in 1918 and it's um it's during the flu pandemic um and it um it looks at one nurse called Julia Power and she's looking after um expectant mothers who have recently come down with an unfamiliar flu so the flu's really new to everybody at that stage and it's not really understood um and so it just follows her life over the course of a couple of days it's you know like I think Rachel was saying that um the Anna what was it the first the one? Anna Wake one the Anna, yeah, yeah yeah so that was just set over a couple of days as well wasn't it um yeah I think it's about three or four days something like that yeah yeah and this one's really really similar um and initially you think what on earth you know how how is how how is it going to sustain me how is the how am I going to stay interested in a book which is just set in a hospital ward um and it just focuses on a couple of different women but it's it's absolutely fabulous in the snapshot it gives you um of the time in terms of um the country at the time and the different attitudes that existed there with regard to so it was just after um, 19, so in 1916, there was a big um, rising in Ireland where some people wanted to um, the country to rule itself and, and others were quite happy for the country to be ruled um, from London. But a lot of a lot of men had left Ireland at that time to go and fight for the British Empire during World War One. And they came back to a country which was completely different and a country that they didn't always feel welcome in. So there was a real division there. And the book does look at that. Um, the nurse, her her brother had been really badly wounded in the war and really, really badly affected as well. So we, we get that perspective. Um, and then we also see how women were treated in Ireland at the time, which was very badly. Um, and Emma Donoghue is one of those writers. Absolutely, she's just stunning. Um, the way the way she writes, 
Um, and that there was something that really stuck with me about um, the title of the book. I loved it. Um, it's So it's called The Pull of the Stars. And in the book, it says that medieval Italians thought that uh, the illness of flu uh, proved that the heavens were governing their fates and that people were quite literally star-crossed. And influenza, lestelle means the influence of the stars. Um, and, and that's something that they believed at the time, you know, that um, they couldn't cure the flu, that the, that their fates were sealed and, and they were being called away. Um, but, yeah, it's it's fabulous. I know you've read it, haven't you, Rachel? And you really. Yeah, I read it and I absolutely I really loved it. Um, and I just it was that the, the two day thing. And also the fact that you're pretty much in, it happens, the action happens within that ward, doesn't it? You don't really leave that ward. You do no. a little bit, but, um, and that is quite claustrophobic read yes. um, because it happens so in such a compressed period of time and a compressed space in time. Um, but it, but it really, I think maybe because we were going through COVID and we were going through that kind of, um, that feeling of everything being compressed but I think for definitely what it brought home to us was, although we were going through COVID and COVID has been shitty and awful and there's been lots of terrible things, actually we did have so much more hope because, you know, people were looking for vaccines. Mm. People, we weren't, we did understand about social distancing. People were getting payment to stay at home and not go to work. And, you know, there was financial support for that, you know, and, these the flu just went rampant because people could yeah. not afford not to go to work people could not afford to stay at home people didn't understand not you know hygiene and yeah. it was just it was quite a Edna really yeah and I mean like you said COVID was horrendous um I read I read Hamnet at the very beginning of yeah. COVID and I strangely found it almost reassuring to know that people had been through episodes like this in the past you know as, as as a people or humanity we'd been through these epidemics and we had survived like you said I suppose we have knowledge on our side and we were able to use technology and everything but yeah I read the year of wonders um as well uh, during the pandemic and I forget who that's by now I'm really sorry but the year of wonders is about Eam and the plague village oh yeah, um, yeah. And, I, and I read that as well so actually quite unwittingly was really quite a lot of plague literature <laughs> I find the historical play yeah I find the historical literature easier than the dystopian you know when the, the yes. was dystopian books and I find them quite I find them harder to read than the ones which are, are based in fact yeah I think mm. that's quite hard when you because because that sort of gives you the what could happen yeah, no. it? <laughs> yeah. you know oh okay I'll go there yeah because I, I just um going a bit off on a tangent because this is not historical fiction but I'll just mention it while we're talking about it um just to give Jack Lutz a bit of a plug while we're talking um so his uh book London in Black has just come out and that's a dystopian one it's only set in 2027 and 2029 so not far ahead in the future and that's kind of like a nerve agent type thing <laughs> um and it's although you know i i find it quite um although frightening it kind of does make for a good read in a way because you know that 
what he's talking about in the book is actually not beyond the realm of possibility. Um, and I know that sounds really weird um, to say that that makes for a good read, but I suppose it's just, it, it you know, when something yeah. you read are, are just totally unrealistic and fantastical and you're like, that could never happen. I wonder, I wonder though, if our, if our view of dystopian fiction has changed a little bit with the last mm. few years, because actually we've gone through something that I don't think I ever thought I'd go through in my lifetime. I remember, you know, the weeks before COVID when um, people were talking on the radio about, well, one of the things we could do is to have a lockdown. And and they were just talking about a two, three-week lockdown. And I remember thinking, well, nobody can do that. Nobody's going to, who's going to do that? You know, kind of thing. And we ended up having months of lockdown, you know. Yeah, and I think we've had the discussion before where where I said to you that my partner had said to me, you know, kind of, oh, we need to start stocking up on some food and, and mentioning all these things that did come. And I were like, don't be stupid. That's not going to come over here and that's not going to happen. And don't be daft mm. that we need to stock up on food. And then... Yeah, it became a reality. So, yeah, absolutely. But then I don't want what happened in London in black to become a reality. So no. we'll, just, <laughs> like, we'll leave that conversation there, shall we? Definitely. Okay, maybe that's a good place to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for listening. Um, somehow we've managed to get from historical to dystopian fiction in our chat there, but I guess that's book chat for you. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at NorthernConPod and on Instagram at The Northern Connection. We'll be back really soon with another episode. Bye.